I'm Brandon Carey. I'm Jason Grady. This is the Medic Class Citizen Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Today, we are very excited to present to you episode six of our leadership series, where we welcome our good friend, Chris Van Brink back to uh to the podcast and we discuss a recent trip that he took to ukraine um to provide medical relief and training um just a brief background on chris you can always go back to our high performance episode where uh, we introduced chris but chris was an officer in the u.s army specifically um he was a green beret Uh, He is now currently a paramedic operating in North Carolina in the emergency department setting and on the ambulance in a 911 ALS setting. And he is also a paramedic instructor um, at a uh, paramedic school in North Carolina. So we don't want to waste any time. So guys, please uh, check this episode out. Enjoy it. Uh, You can find more information about Chris if you search on Instagram, uh, Morphine and Mindfulness, uh, where you can learn more about his blog and all the awesome stuff that Chris does. But uh, we want to give Chris a shout out, not to get too sappy, but it, it really is incredible to have him not only representing our country um, in the mission field that he uh, he and his fellow uh, operators representing our country, but also representing our profession very, very well. Uh, so we're very thankful to call Chris friend and uh, to be able to uh, call on him to have conversations with us and uh you know, discuss leadership and discuss the EMS profession. So I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's dig in. So, so tell us, uh, tell us about your trip, man. Tell us about your, uh, I don't want to call it a trip because that, to me, <laughs> a little, that little warcation, yeah. <laughs> warcation. <laughs> is, no, that what you, I, is that what you guys in SF call deployments? It's just a warcation. Just a work. Yeah. We started calling them warcations after a while. Um, <laughs> No, so it was. Let's see. I a, a long time ago. I don't. I mean, if you're familiar with um, the worst responders, yeah. Like so, like you know how they have that job board where they mm-hmm. post. You know, so I had I had responded to an ad just a long time ago for this organization because um, it looked super cool. I was a global surgical medical support group. Um, didn't really know anything about it, and. And I, and I didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, like, I remember watching on the news, you know, Ukraine kicking off and, you know, everyone in, you know, every aid organization in the world is trying to figure out ways to help or to send aid or to do something. And I get a phone call on a Sunday night. Um, it was Sunday night and it was from Dr. Aaron Epstein, who is the director of GSMSG. And he was like, Hey, you know, we were sifting through resumes or sifting through applications. You know, could you send us an updated copy of your resume and we'll go from there. So I was like, okay. So I just (laughs) shot him over a copy of my resume. And about 12 hours later, I got another phone call. There's like, Hey, would you be available for a phone interview? I was like, okay, sure. So on the phone interview was him and the the team lead um, who is sending, taking the team over to Ukraine. And they just asked some questions, you know, just general job interview type stuff. Um, 
they were deliberately screening for people with a special operations background, I think because of the um, environment that we would find ourselves in or having to operate mm -hmm. in. And it just so happens that, yeah, I, I was a Russian speaker um, in third group. Um, so <laughs> it kind of helps. It kind of helps. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's actually not the preferred language in Ukraine right now. Kind of. Imagine. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I can, I can get by like people understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying, but actually there are many people are reverting back to the native Ukrainian now. Um, but yeah. And they're like, well, the, uh, the team's leaving on Friday. Can, can you make it? And I'm this like, is Sunday. Yeah, I'm like this is well it's now it's now Monday. Oh, oh, okay. Right, this is the next day. Oh my gosh. And they're like we're leaving on Friday. And I'm like all right, give me give me some time. So I called my boss and I was like here's this opportunity. Um and I had no idea what they were going to say. Like I I mean I was really just seeing what was in the realm of possibility and um so from there, he, they were supportive. They were like, you know, this is unique. You know, I think you're, it was weird how all of my, it felt like all of my talents, like all, everything that I've been trying to develop over the last decade plus, you know, had all kind of like come to a head, whether it was the special operations background or the teaching background or the EMS back and like everything like suddenly came together in like one opportunity and it was like, here it is. So I just went for it. You know, I, and work was supportive. Um, and I packed up my bags and booked a pl plane ticket to JFK. And from there, I just, met up with some random people and we started a group chat prior to um and met up with some random people at jfk airport and you can just kind of, you can all kind of tell like sf guys could kind of pick people out from a crowd like you can be like ah uh, you don't yeah yeah that's definitely one and then you just kind of like went around in a circle um like you could tell one sf guy to yeah another. yeah that's awesome. So I want to unpack a couple of things that you just talked about. One, the fact that your employer was supportive during what I'm sure is the same as everybody else. Staffing issues, shortages, man mandatory holdovers. Right. That's, yeah. in that's incredible. Yeah. And I, like I said, I was, I was really, I, I was, I was unsure as to what was going to happen. And I, but they were, you know, and, and I think it's like, it's one of those things where it's like in, in my boss, well, boss's boss. Cause this, this went up pretty high. Cause it was like one, I didn't have the leave for it. So I've been mm -hmm. essentially like leave without absence. So I'm going to not get paid yeah. for, you know, this endeavor, but it was kind of more along the lines of like, you know, cause the whole world wanted to help. Like everyone, yeah everyone was trying to figure out, you know, how to help these people because, you know, it's the environment was, I, I think something that, you know, the world that we know hasn't really seen. I mean, we, mm -hmm. 
my generation, obviously, even my parents' generation, maybe my grandparents' generation a little bit, um, remembers what it was like when a country invaded another country. Like, we're not talking about, you know, terrorism or an insurgent group that's, you Mm -hmm. know, running around a country. We're talking about an actual country that drove its tanks across the border. And I mean, like very much akin to, you know, Germany invading Poland, you know, during World War II. So the world was kind of like in shock. And, you know, it was, I I think it was interesting how, you know, there were certain groups that had an ability to get there and to do certain types of work. And, And the special operations community was one of those communities. And unfortunately, the government proper, I mean, their hands were tied. You know, there is, it's not like, I mean, as much as the army wanted to deploy into Ukraine, it can't, right? I mean, so it was it, literally this unique group of individuals happened to kind of manifest itself hmm. and was able to get this opportunity. So, so is your boss a paramedic? Yeah. So my boss is a paramedic. So whenever and, you, when you came to him and asked him or her, were they like, hell yeah go save some lives or were they, they, like, were, <laughs> they were like, well, uh, well, be careful, <laughs> you know, keep your, <laughs> like, keep your head down. Um, no, I think they were, they were honored to be able to kind of like, I think send one of their own, um, to help out. Um, and it, I mean, it just so happened that I, I happened to have the the skill set that was needed. Yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, so we met up in New York and we flew into Poland. Um, and it was, I mean, it was it was chaos the closer you got to the border. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it, just consider like just this mass exodus of people, like this massive group, like any, any overwhelmed the logistical capabilities of the Ukrainian-Poland border. Because mm. I mean, you've got you know, tens of thousands of individuals who are trying to leave a country on foot or on in, foot, anyway. on car on by really whatever means necessary, mm-hmm. um, which put a lot of strain on that, you know, those smaller towns that butted up right against the Ukrainian border. So, but I mean, the good news is that everyone was trying to go this way and we were the only schmucks trying to get into the country. <laughs> right. Cause you, <laughs> you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of like that scene on independence day where everyone's trying to get out of DC and then there's only yes. one car that's driving down the highway. <laughs> well, we were the one car that was trying to get in. So yeah. getting in, like we just drove right by this massive crowd of people. Um, and I mean, a lot of, uh, most of the aid, if not all of the aid that I saw, um, all stopped at the border. I mean, there was, there was, there was a real threat. The, the farther you got into Ukraine of, you know, being caught up in the conflict and unfortunately, you know, Russia being what it is, I mean, they're not going to paint you as, you know, an, a non-governmental organization, you know, you're right. a, you're an enemy country sympathizer, you know, you're, so it's it's like you weren't going to be given the luxury of mm-hmm. you know I mean the Geneva Convention was already broken. So well, that's like, what I was going to ask you. I mean, did so, they did they still try to uphold quote unquote the Geneva Convention? No, I mean, well, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, we I mean, we 
didn't engage in any direct conflict, but we deliberately, you know, did not even try. I mean, because we're, you know, we're talking about a situation where, and that's why I think, you know, you know, recruiting from people who have a special operations background can appreciate, you know, operating what we call semi-permissive or denied areas is that, you know, we're not, we're not there to start World War III. Like knowing good and well that, you know, the United States is not going to risk, you know, escalating to a global conflict, you know, based on a, a handful of individuals who are just, you know, trying to go out there and do some good. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to, like, you pulled, there's no big red handle to pull <laughs> uh, on this side of the thing, you know, when, once you're over there, like you're kind of on your own. Yeah. But you have every incentive to try to not, you know, escalate to any degree where people might think are threatening. I mean, you try to actually subdue to the extent possible, you know, your military-esque presence. Yeah. Were you able to blend in at all? Or did you guys stick out like a sore thumb? Or, you know, I mean, did people recognize you were headed you were headed into where everyone was trying to evacuate? Um, how did that look? Well, I uh yeah. I try to I try to operate under the principle that it's like it's so overt, it's covert, right? So like I actually did not try. I we didn't try to blend in, but we definitely tried to downplay any like military persona, yeah. right? Like I mean we we wore non-governmental organization t-shirts you know, we, we all like the, the training that we did was a hundred percent medical. Like it's not, you know, combat oriented, um, you know, which, I mean, which just keeps you on the side of, right. And I mean, there's always the people who will try to paint that, you know, in a different light. Um, yeah. but you know, in the end of the day, like, you know, we were there to help, uh, the Ukrainian people. And really, I mean, I, I maintain it was, it was to help anyone who was interested because, you know, we non-governmental organizations where, you know, we play both sides we'll, we'll help anybody. So. Yeah. So give us, give us some context on, uh, you know, for, for people like me that did very poorly in geography and in school. Um, so I, I think we probably maybe have seen the news enough to kind of see, you understand like where, Poland is in relation to Ukraine, but what, what city were you in kind of what geographical area uh, did you guys enter? Sure. So we kind of, we came, you know, by way of Poland um, and drove across the border. So Poland and Ukraine share a, share a border. Um, and we drove, we spent a fair amount of time in Lviv, which is, you know, Western Ukraine, um, which is, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, the heart of Ukrainian nationalism. So, you know, is, is if, if Kiev is the capital, right, Lviv is probably like the heart, um, if you will. Um, so very strong sense of Ukrainian nationalism in Lviv. And then we kind of, you know, we ventured out, you know, as far as we could, you know, closer towards Kiev. And then as, as opportunities presented themselves, um, but most of our time was spent in, in Western Ukraine. Um, so... Yeah, Kiev being right in the middle, and then obviously the the eastern region, which is far more contested, and you know we we mm -hmm. didn't really have any presence out there. Yeah, and you know you you say we're just we're just a group of guys that want or group of people that want to do good work. What 
was the mission specifically? I mean, were you providing medical aid? Were you teaching? Um, you know, I, I know the answer to that, but kind of explain to the listeners what, sure. you know, what the mission of the organization was. Yeah. So, I mean, really being as, as rapid as this team was put together, um, I think there was a lot of unanswered questions on, you know, how we could best be of service. So the, the team that we assembled was a pretty unique group of individuals, um, ranging everywhere from paramedics to, um, OR surgeons, mm. trauma surgeons. Um, we had a nurse and, you know, several former 18 Delta paramedics. Wow. Um, that is so, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So it was a really unique group of individuals and, and we really tried to like kind of fan out and see where we could fit in. Um, so, you know, the GSMSG roster is, is pretty deep when it comes to its skill set. So I think the, our initial mission coming in as the first team was to kind of figure out, you know, where we could make an inroad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like I said, given, given all the contacts that we had back here, you know, who wanted to send aid and help, you know, no one really knew where to send it. Um, it's, I mean, it's one thing to kind of collect all this donations and this stuff and, you know, wherever, but it's like, okay, well now what do we do? You know, we can get it all in a, a shipping container and we can get it to Poland, you know, and then we, once we drive it across the border, like, where does it all go? So a lot of the missions for the first team, for my team was to kind of make relationships, which is, you know, that's what, that's what SF guys do. Um, you know, so we go in and we kind of figure out what the need is and then try to align resources based on the need. So, Mm. you know, we had a very large success in teaching and taking the, essentially the the tactical combat casualty care slide deck. Um, so the tactical vacuum or tactical evacuation casualty care for civilians and translating that into Ukrainian and basically creating a hasty stop the bleed campaign. Um, there was a massive desire for, you know, the general public to learn how to stop life-threatening hemorrhage, you know, and the setting kind of, you know, basically turning everyone into a basic field medic, if you will. Um, and mostly because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the territorial defense units, um, so the people who kind of were recruited from the Ukrainian civilian populace to, Hey, guess what? You're soldiers now. Congratulations. Wow. Um, here are some basic te- you know, tips that you can use to help keep yourself alive. And, you know, this is how you put on a tourniquet. These are things you can use for a chest seal. Um, you know, this is how you can kind of move casualties. These are things we have to consider when, you know, dealing with certain types of injuries. Um, and then we kind of that we started there. And then once we had an inroad into the hospital and people who had a little bit more medical knowledge and, you know, medical expertise, we introduced some advanced trauma techniques such as needle decompressions or chest tubes um, and, you know, surgical airways, things of that nature, people who had access to that kind of equipment. So basically teaching, we did kind of a round for basic civilians and, and then once we kind of made it around to some local hospitals, managed to get, you know, doctors, but I mean, not, not, you know, field trauma doctors. I mean, you're talking right. 
cardiologists, you know, neurologists, you know, people whose specialty lied far beyond trauma, but, you know, who were met, who had enough medical knowledge to be able to absorb, you know, having to, if you had, if you were presented with this type of emergency and casualty, you know, you could manage it at your level. Um, so we had, you know, an advanced trauma course for physicians, um, and other people with medical knowledge. So we just kind of built off that. Um, and then we did manage to integrate uh, with one, our surgeons with one local hospital um, that were able to help um, with a surgery. Um, even it's funny because they were all using equipment that was, you know, 30 years older than what they were used to using, but <laughs> oh, wow. the, the drugs being all in different languages. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> our, uh, our, our SWAT physician anesthesiologist, uh, his name is Russ, but yeah, he has a, he has a great story of trying to figure out which drugs were which <laughs> when the Holy drugs cow. are all in a different language. But, uh, no, man, it was, it was cool. It was, it was wild. Like I, there's really, I wish I had the words to kind of describe, you know, what some of the emotion and the feeling behind it was, but I mean, it was, especially for someone you know, for me who's you know been in different types of conflict you know I've, i'd never seen something like that um was this the first time that most of these folks have been exposed to this type of training um so the the people yes um well yes and no so are you talking about the ukrainian people or the, yeah, the any especially the civilians or and maybe yes. some of the military too but spe uh, specifically the civilians yes so this is this was the first time anyone had seen, I mean, yeah, as far as like when we did the stop the bleed campaign with local civilians, I mean, this is the first time, you know, they ever really considered themselves possibly finding themselves in that type of situation. So they had, they had zero training whatsoever, no exposure to Americans coming over and teaching at all. So, and that's something that just boggles my mind because living in America, my sense of safety, thanks to you and, people who, who have had your profession over the past hundred years, you know, I just, I just can't fathom, like you said, well, we're taking these average run of the mill everyday citizens and turning them into soldiers now, like congratulations, yeah. you're a soldier. So what was their affect and attitude? Like what was, you know, I just, I just can't picture it. I can't picture what they would. Oh, yeah, no, it's any, I mean, it's hard to like, and, and, and a lot of it I think is because, you know, we, we've never been in that type of situation before. Like, I, I think, you know, there, it, it was, it was kind of mixed. So in the very beginning, you know, there was, there was the shock of what is happening. Right. So like, like kind of like a shock and disbelief that in the world that we live in, a country can decide to invade another country. And, and I mean, and, and Russia gets its way. I mean, we're talking about, mm. you know, Ukraine being wiped off the map. Right. That's that's the end. Ukraine doesn't exist anymore. Um, so after that shock kind of, you know, kind of I guess maybe, the, you know, the closest thing that we'd have to compare it to is is 9-11, you know, when, when two planes crashed into a building, right? Like this kind of thing is actually possible in the world that we live in. 
once that shock kind of wore off, um, it then transitioned to uh, resolve and anger and and there was you know there was a sense of you know they're they're fighting for their homes you know people who people who fight for their homes fight differently than Mm. um than people who you know get drafted into a military um so you know i I, like i said you know lviv kind of being the um the heart of ukraine it's, it's kind of the birthplace of ukrainian nationalism um there, I, I mean, I, like I said, I, if I, I had never seen, if you imagine as an EMS instructor, you know, saying that you, you know, at your college, you're going to host a, you know, a stop the bleed campaign. You're going to, you're going to host a class for two hours. That's going to teach people how to put on a tourniquet, um, you know, how to pack a wound and wrap it, um, and now, Matt, you put out, you put out by word of mouth, not even, not even, I mean, no Facebook posts, no Instagram posts, but like by word of mouth, right? You put it out and, and 10 hours later, you have standing room only Yeah. in your classroom. Yeah, man. You had, you had people lined up waiting to get in, right? Yeah. Like just- I mean, lined up waiting to get in the door, you know, and. And so, and, and because there was a desire for them, I mean, they, they owned it differently. Um, these guys, so these were like, these were the Texans on September 12th, you know, 2001. They're, <laughs> they were, they lived every day with the knowledge that unfortunately, because of the way the world is, that no one was coming to help them. I mean, everyone wanted to. Right. But no one is going to create and escalate to a World War Three situation that, you know, that let's be honest. I mean, it's it wouldn't just be Russia, United States. It would be China. It would be Russia. It would be and it would be everybody. You know, Iran, and so, North Korea. Exactly. So. You know, they existed knowing that the only thing that was standing between Russia getting what it wanted was them, mm. was their own resolve, right? To, you know, and, and that's what happened. You know, when you, you know, they, Russia did not anticipate the resistance that, you know, they faced as they tried to make inroads towards Kiev or towards, you know, any other area into Ukraine. Um, Cause in their minds, they were like, Oh yeah, we're going to come in. We're going to beeline straight to Kiev and remove Zelensky and his, you know, cabinet. And then we'll mm-hmm. be, be good to go. And that's <laughs> not what happened. No, it's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, so in, in that, when you're talking about the emotions of the people and they're fired up and motivated, I'm sure some of them were absolutely terrified. Did sure. you, whenever you were teaching, did you ever have to use like rely back to any type of training to break through their emotion and, you know, try to get them to focus and. Um, I, I mean, not like a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of, I used my experience to try to help 
create a sense of realism when it comes to, you know, caring for a trauma patient. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, you know, I, we kind of lived by the motto that, you know, don't let good enough be the enemy of great. Right. So, you know, in, in these types of very chaotic, very fast paced, very dynamic situations, you know, your intervention just has to work pretty good. You know, I mean, your tourniquet has to be pretty tight, has to stop a lot of the bleeding, but it has to get on and has to get on quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. So it might not be perfect, but in this type of situation, you know, you know, don't, don't sit around too long trying to make the perfect intervention in, you know, if there's gunfire, if there's rockets that are exploding around you, we have to get this on as best as we can and we have to, to move. Right? So, you know, giving them, trying to give them a sense of what to anticipate um, in these types of situations, the situations that they would find themselves having to use these skills. Um, and they're receptive to it. You know, they like, I will say, you know, Eastern Europeans are a very hardened group of individuals. <laughs> like, nice. like life's not easy or has not been easy, you know, for these people, you know, whether they were in the Soviet Union living, you know, in that type of environment. Um, and, and they were ready. I mean, they, they embraced it, you know, and they, um, I actually, it's funny because, you know, I got a message um, that was relayed back to the United States from one of the teams who was over there, um, who was approached by one of the people who came to one of our classes um, and said that they had successfully managed to, you know, save their friend's life mm. by putting on a tourniquet uh, after a rocket attack. They, they had went to a GSMSG course and awesome. someone was alive because of that. You know, that is they were, awesome. They were so excited, you know, and they, so, you know, it, I don't know, man, it was, like I said, I didn't, I didn't have to be like more real. Like I didn't have to get them to imagine yeah. a situation because like the situation was happening. Yeah. Like I more had to like, you know, prepare them to, you know, manage their expectations being like, Hey, look, like even you can do, you can do everything for these patients. And, you know, and this is even talking to the physicians. I'm like, you can, mm-hmm. you can successfully intubate, you can successfully start blood. You can, you can get everything as good as you possibly can get it. And sometimes it's just not going to be enough and that's okay. Right. Cause you have to keep going. You have to go to the next person. You know, the, mm-hmm. the whole premise of mass casualties is to be able to do the greatest good for the greatest number. And that, that just means by virtue, some people just aren't going to make it. You're not going to be able to help everyone. So it was more like using my training to to manage people's expectations Mm. um, than it was to, you know, make it real for them because it was, it was already very real. Sure. uh, Sure. What, what, what was the definitive care situation there? Um, You know, you're teaching that, that stuff. Where, Where do these people go after they're, tourniquets are applied i mean they medevac are there actual hospitals there still they do um they do have actual hospitals there i from what we were able to survey um as far as like the like what we would consider to be a level one facility that's capable of you know trauma surgery and long-term rehabilitation and care uh pretty few and far between um and 
like I said, cause you know, facilities are crowded. Um, so there's just, there's just not a whole lot of infrastructure available. Um, unfortunately, you know, I think the best that a lot of them could hope for was just to try to stabilize in place and wait it out um, until something became available. Um, I know they tried, you know, as far as the international community tried to establish some humanitarian corridors to help kind of evacuate some of the people who were obviously non-combatants who were wounded. Um, and whether they sought further care in Poland um, or another country, and that was probably their best bet was to probably, you know, get care in another country if you could be stabilized and, you know, driven elsewhere across one of the other borders. Um, but outside of that, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot um, of really long-term definitive care that, that we found. Now, so, what about a uh, pre-hospital? Did the, did the local pre-hospital services stand up or did a lot of them leave? Like, how did that work? Well, they, so I actually got, and I, I'll send you, I'll send you a picture. I got to find it. But I, I found, uh, we took some pictures of the backs of a, you know, you, a local Ukrainian ambulance and what that actually looks like. Um, very different than <laughs> what like, you would anticipate. Is um, it like the Ghostbusters car? It's more like, it, so it's, <laughs> it's more like just transport. It's like, there's gotcha. not, there wasn't a very robust, in fact, that was, well, that was one of the things that we were actually trying to work on because they had put in the, there's a group of individuals who um, were able to do a pretty significant amount of fundraising who actually purchased, I think, 25 ambulances from Germany. Wow. You have them fully stocked and sent over. We didn't didn't see that to completion, but we did see the order um, get placed. But there wasn't. There's not a lot of emphasis on pre-hospital treatment. It's more put them in the ambulance and like it was. So their ambulances, they're three people deep. Um, one person just stays with the ambulance, and it's it looks like a civilian person just who put on a like an EMS jacket, <laughs> like just you know, he's just the driver, <laughs> like actually the ambulance driver. Nice. <laughs> you know? nice. Um, and the rest of the people, like, I didn't really see a whole lot of equipment. Like maybe there was an oxygen tank back there. Um, maybe like a first aid kit or something like that. And like a little, like a little stretcher bed to transport people on, but you know, no, no real kind of like, we're going to, you know, start an IV, start running fluids, start pushing drugs. You know, we're going to wow. get people to intubate, you know, or anything like that. Like that, that was all hospital stuff. Um, so yeah, but like I said, I think people, I don't know, a lot of people just, they, they pushed a lot of resources as far East as they could, as quickly as could, as they can, you know? So the people, especially the military age males, I think who were able to, fight and to, you know, help that way or kind of redirected from mm -hmm. their jobs um, to serve in the more immediate need, which is just direct combat. Um, so, yeah. What, um, you know, we're talking about your EMS training, but what about your mindfulness side of things? Um, saw some pretty powerful pictures that you put on Instagram. You know, we, we reshared oh. them. Um, you know, lighting candles at the church and mm -hmm. just being, being with the Ukrainian people, you know, having fellowship with them. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, talk about that for a second. Um, well, I, I'd say like kind of the the overwhelming thought that you know that we had because I mean when you, when you consider the nature of the conflict, right? I mean you're you're facing an adversary who is very well armed very well equipped i mean they've you know they they have no shortage of rockets um and the, the more like the more you consider the prospect of death and dying the more sensitive you become to life in general so you know there was there was a pretty overwhelming sense of gratitude every day like if you if the air raid sirens went off you made it into the bunker mm-hmm. you came out and you were okay, you get to keep going, right? You know, like the more, as far as, you know, I, I think my mindfulness worked more for me than anything else. I mean, I didn't, mm. I was just trying to kind of wrap myself around what was happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that, that was kind of what I felt. I mean, I, you know, I, I felt the ground move a couple of times. You really? Know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and what's different, like I said, what's different is that, you know, this time, this time I didn't have a government that was behind me. Like I was just, I was by myself, you know, um, which I mean, makes you do a lot of things differently. You know, when you don't, when you don't have rockets to fire back or you don't have guns to fire back, like you, and you you just tread more carefully in what you do. But I, I think, like I said, the the more you consider the prospect of death and dying and how real of a reality that is, um, the more grateful, the more sensitive you become to life in general. And and you get to you get to really taste that bowl of soup and you're like, oh man, this tastes delicious. You know, like you really get to enjoy that cup of coffee. You know, you really get to enjoy some of the things that, you know, you you probably take for granted um, in your day-to-day life, because you're not considering the prospect of that being your last cup of coffee or your last bowl of soup. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, that was my, that was my mindfulness takeaway (laughs) from, from being in a war zone, especially, and I I call it like a one-sided war zone because it's one thing if like, you're there to fight back. Right. Cause then it's like, then you're there to win. Yeah. Like I, we were not there to win the war. Right. I mean, we, and we knew that, you know, we were, and it was hard for a lot of us, especially, you know, with the military background to walk into a situation where, you know, if that was us six years ago, you know, we, we would, it would have been, been totally different, totally yeah. different. Right. But we're not there to win. It would have been on like Donkey Kong. Right. Oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. Right. We, and we wouldn't even have thought, you know, we wouldn't even have thought about it. What was but, the, what was the backup plan? Like, say you guys, you know, leave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, like, get in line with the rest of the people trying to leave the country. Like, oh my gosh! <laughs> well, that's that was the, that's the thing. Like, and I, it's funny because, like, even you know, when when we all signed our waivers and our liability, you know, it was like, hey, there's there's a real chance that you might die. I mean, yeah. and, and it, it's, it's funny as, 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 as accustomed as we are to death in our profession, because we see it all the time. You really only consider someone else's, it's someone else's death. It's someone else's cardiac arrest. It's someone mm-hmm. else's problem. Um, and yeah, so it was really, and, and that was, 
that was kind of the challenge of it was, you know, we, we were the first team there. Um, we were the first team on the ground. So we, and that's again, why they recruited, I think from the pool that they did was because that's what we do. You know, we establish networks and we make sure that we have ways and assets and vehicles. Um, even if we have to purchase one for several hundred dollars that <laughs> it barely runs. I mean, we're talking about like, I, I got to find a picture of this thing, but like you would laugh. We were like, you were like, here's, here's this group of former special ops guys with a little bit of money that we've managed <laughs> to fundraise. Right. And we got, we have, you know, here's the vehicle that if, and if all hell breaks loose, this is what's going to get us across the border. <laughs> I mean, th- like you had to like it was a little Italian import car, but you had to speak very nicely to it if you wanted it to turn on. <laughs> like, and I'm like, this is this is our exit strategy, guys. Like, this is this is like the no fail plan. Was this little tiny red like little Italian like SUV type thing? <laughs> Um, that, that I think like pretty much stuck in third gear. Like if you made it up to third gear, like that was about as good as you were going to get You're going about 45 miles an hour. Really? Loudly. That. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And yeah, we had to fit, you know, like 10 guys worth of gear, you know, bags and all of us. And like, oh this is gosh. it. This is the best we could come up with. So now we made a little cardboard license plate for it that said A Team on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so take us back to a little bit um, more specific. How many days did you spend there? Kind of what was the overarching thing you did, and then what was when it kind of came time to kind of wrap it up? Tell us a little bit about uh, that and kind of how what that was like. So we were there, oh man, probably in total somewhere around. I don't know, 16, 17 days. So about two and a half weeks or so. Um, and again, the, the main mission kind of being help. I mean, really, I mean, that, that's really what it kind of came down to. We had, you know, we had a goal that we wanted to, you know, once we kind of assessed the need, we had a goal. We wanted to train as many people as we could uh, in basic trauma care. So stop the bleed type stuff. Um we had a, a secondary goal that once, you know, the only sustainable model that we could use if we really wanted to solidify our impact was to train the trainer. So we took that model and we like, okay, here's a group of cadre who they get it, they feel comfortable with it, um, and they feel good enough that they are going to then teach it to other people. So our goal for for handing everything over was to get a group of individuals who were comfortable enough with the material that they could then take it and then spread it out to the community. So did you leave behind a lot of training kits for those trainers did train? Yeah. So I, I don't, I wouldn't even really call them training kits. Like I, like I emptied out, like I gave basically my, my old IFACs that I had uh, laying around my garage that we used as teaching aids. Um, but I just left them there. Um, and we're like, here's all this stuff use it if you need it. I mean, cause you could still use a teaching tourniquet if you absolutely had to, if you had no other tourniquets available. Mm. Um, but teach it and, and teach as many people as you can and spread the word. And they did. And that was kind of, that was our initial handover point. It was, it was hard because it was like, man, there's so much more 
yeah. we could do, you know, and, and fortunately, you know, we've been able to continuously send uh, teams back to kind of keep that going. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, we, I think in the course of our you know time there, we managed somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 900 attendees. I mean, we ran two classes a day, every day, um, anywhere from, you know, 25 to 40 a class. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just did that day in and day out till we couldn't do it anymore. (laughs) But we did that. And like I said, we integrated with several local hospitals. We managed to train a small cadre of physicians. Um, we just stayed busy and just found work, stayed busy. Were you able to bring any, uh, any lessons back from your experience over there? Um, that you've been able to kind of apply at work, um, back on the, back on the American soil side of things, um, in your EMS job, in your daily EMS job. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as far from a, from a leadership standpoint, um, you know, I, I learned cause from being over there, uh, one thing has become abundantly clear and that is, President Zelensky is an absolute savage and a hero. <laughs> um, and, 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 it, and it kind of like it really shocked me to see the president of a country. And, and I mean, that that quote of like, I don't need a ride. I need ammo. Like that is on billboards. That is on T-shirts. Like that is like he his persona, like his his evening addresses to the nation they're done in civilian clothes Mm. military clothes like he is he is donning body armor he is with his guys i mean he nothing that you've ever seen probably like on the the american politician side but i mean this guy (laughs) is an absolute legend in the eyes of the ukrainian people and and has managed to rally his country in wartime and, you know, while we're by, well, you know, while Americans aren't facing invasion, um, you know, COVID's still happening and we still use the term frontline in our job. And the lesson that I took back, um, especially from a leadership standpoint is, you know, don't be a peacetime leader in a wartime army. Um, man, <laughs> you know, like there's, 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 there's a difference. There's a difference in the style of leadership that is demanded during wartime than it is during peacetime. If, if Zelensky tried to manage his country in the same manner as a traditional politician in peacetime, I, I don't think he would have the same effect. I don't think Ukrainians would, would show the resolve that they showed to see their leader who is out there with them day in and day out suffering as they suffered um Mm. and and makes hard decisions right i mean he he had to institute you know national law that says hey look if you're a male from the ages of 18 to 60 you gotta stay you know unless you have some overwhelming reason you know you gotta stay and because we need you we need you to help defend us you know this is the the only thing that's stopping uh, this invasion from being successful is the Ukrainian people. 
And, you know, those types of hard decisions, those types of, you know, kind of rallying a country to say, hey, this, this is going to be our priorities. Doesn't matter what anything else we had on the, on the docket. This is the only thing that matters. You know, that was a huge lesson to take back for, for COVID. You know, I mean, when, when you have, and depending on whatever organization you're a part of, you know, are, you, are we trying to take peacetime strategies and use them in a wartime environment? Because uh, they're just not going to work. And, and, and you can try, you know, you can try to pretend like it doesn't exist. You can try to pretend that it's not that bad, but it's bad. Right. And, and you have, you know, are the leaders of our organizations, people that we can rally around and who inspire us and who, you know, can, can get us to, to drop our families off at the border and turn around and go back the other direction towards the fighting. Hmm. You know, I mean, how, and I think I've said this on earlier episodes, but, you know, leadership and management is not like those aren't the same terms those are those are mutually exclusive um so yeah if if you're an ems leader who's trying to lead your organization the same way you did pre-covid as you're doing during covid don't be a peacetime leader in a wartime army i love it yeah i think uh you know we've used this term before mike tyson um who probably doesn't have a lot of things to say but one of the things i love he says is Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but and and so much of what we do in the Western world is theoretical. Um, you know, we we're we're sitting here, um, you know, mid uh, early or actually early summer, and and the stuff with Uvalde just came out, and uh, you know, some of the stuff in Buffalo is just, uh, I mean, it's just so devastating. But imagine that happening across an entire uh, country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, happening day in and day out. So you, you, Chris, have a uh, a unique perspective and experience when it comes to some of the history that uh, that you have and some of the work that you've done in the military. Anything about uh, what is happening over there in Ukraine or the things that you saw or experienced? Anything surprised even you? Surprising? Oh, um... or any misconceptions that you had that when you went over there um, kind of changed? Well, I mean, I, like I said, I, I mean, I, I maintain the fact that, you know, despite you know, be, having deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, et cetera, you know, I, I've never seen what I saw over there. You know, I, I have never seen, you know, grandmas stuffing Molotov cocktails to throw at tanks. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, that's just, that's just a different kind of site. And I, I, that's awesome. It is. Well, I mean, but again, like it, the stakes were different, you know, yeah, I, yeah. and, and that's where it's like, you know, I, I, it, it, it opened my own eyes because, you know, I realized that, you know, people, people fight based on stakes, you know, and, and what they have in the game. And it's very different when a battlefield is a hundred miles away, a thousand miles away or another continent away. But when it's, when it's on your doorstep, like, and and you have that choice to make, 
you know, you see the best and the worst of people all at the same time. But I mean, but what was unique about Ukraine, I think, was, you know, the the type of people they are and the leaders that they had, I think, nationally speaking, united them in a way that I've never seen anywhere else in the world, you know, and, you know, we can, we can use, we can let calamity, you know, break us apart, which it will do naturally um, as people will naturally fight for their own survival, but collectively, you know, given solid leaders, solid motivation, you know, um, it can, it can be quite unifying, you know? And like I said, I, I had never seen, like, I thought, you know, nationalism was big in America. Um, not, not compared to Ukrainian nationalism, Mm. (laughs) um, very, very different. You know, I mean, like I said, I, I know I made that comment earlier in the show about speaking Russian. I mean, these are people who, yeah, I mean, a lot of them spoke Russian, but like they're they're giving up part of their linguistic history to revert back to Ukrainian, not wow. Russian. That's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was it was pretty wild. Yeah, let me let me recap something that you 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 said that. Um, one of the first things that you said that really struck me that I, I don't want to lose this opportunity for other people to hear, because I think if we all look at a lot of our lives, especially those of us that are kind of um, in our middle to later career, you know, you, you mentioned something that everything that you had prepared for your education, your, um, your experience, everything led you to this point that, uh, yeah, you, you have a unique background with unique skills and unique education, unique talents, um, and, and I don't want to miss out on that is that a, especially a lot of the younger listeners or the younger people that are kind of new in this career, they're kind of thinking, uh, perhaps, you know, where do I fit into all this? Um, and you know, some of the trials that you go through, some of the difficult things that you go through pre- are preparing you for something. Mm-hmm. And so for you to be able to go do this, um, I think is huge and is not, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to miss that, uh, that that part that you said that, um, uh, you know, not all of us could have done this. Not all of us, uh, have the, the background that could have done this. And so from, uh, for you representing not only our country, but our profession, uh, I think is a really big deal. And I appreciate appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you. I mean, I, I think, you know, one thing to remember that was inspiring that I saw when I was over there was, you know, everybody helped in the way that they could. You know, like it was the, the, the command was just to help, but it didn't specify a how, you know, if, if you, you know, for example, one, there was a group of women who took it upon themselves to sew together, essentially the, the kits that held the first aid equipment. So like your IFAC individual, wow. first aid, right. So they, they would sew these kits all day long. And then there was one group who, you know, after we, showed people how to make improvised tourniquets would start just gathering supplies and like cutting up shirts and, you know, cloth into straps that you could use. Um, like, like there was just because, you know, you don't, you don't have the specific background to maybe just go and kinetically engage in a, in a conflict does not mean that, you know, your talents and abilities aren't 
well utilized in some capacity. Mm. Um, you know, everyone just had a strong desire to, to do good and then found where their, you know, talents fit in the best. Um, so yeah, I mean, and to, to help, you know, to help people in Ukraine, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, you know, going over there is one way which caters towards a specific skill set. But if that's yeah. not your background, then that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that your response is to do nothing. So hmm. have to find where you fit in, you know, needless to say, like I, I surprised myself, you know, when, when we threw together this very hasty plan of to fly to Poland, meet some guy named Oleg who drives a yellow bus and we're going to make it across <laughs> into Ukraine. You know, here's, here's a couple hundred bucks and we're just going to go as far as we can go. And you know what? We actually made it, you know, and we didn't die. So like the fact that, you know, I got a little bit of a sinus infection. I'm, I'm going to go run a race that starts at 10,200 feet. We're just going to go until we can't go no more. <laughs> hey, and actually le legitimate question, but was this all out of pocket or was this funded in any way? So our plane, so we had to get ourselves to New York, but everything else was, it was, so I use the word funded loosely because what was paid for was us to get there. Once we got there, we had to integrate um, in, in, the, in the way that like a, spe a special forces team would have to integrate if we went in any other area. Right. We got we got some some cash money that we're taking with us that we can use for groceries, that we can use for housing, that we can use for whatever we need. Right. Because here here's, you know, 10 schmucks just showing up into a, a war zone, you know, which is which, again, like it's kind of like one of those like big asterisks, like don't try this at home. Like unless you like, I would not recommend everybody just winging this oh yeah but there's a lot of soldiers of fortune out there that think they can pull this so, off yeah that's we can do it we can do a follow-up episode on the soldiers of fortune that i met overseas. oh i imagine I those imagine. guys oh so that was just, that was hard to watch so just but, bless, um, bless their hearts just all yes 100 percent bless their hearts um but yeah man i don't know we're just we're just gonna go and uh we're gonna have a good time Right on, dude. Awesome. Dude, wow. thank you so much, man. Always great to talk to you. Yeah. Absolutely. You've been listening to Medic Class Citizen. If you like what you heard, check out our website at www.medicclasscitizen.com. Also, find us on social media where you can follow, like, subscribe, and share. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we also have videos on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.